0: You are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: The battle to reopen is underway. Feeding your kids is not selfish. Who is protecting our nursing homes? Trump calls out the Lincoln losers. And Biden wants Trump to have intercourse with the world.
0: This, this is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Russia. One call thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now.
2: I'm viewing our great citizens of this country to a certain extent and to a large extent as warriors. They're warriors. We can't keep our country closed. We have to open our country Somebody said, oh, we could keep it for the next 18 months. We could keep it for the next two years. Doug Ducey's done an incredible job as the governor of Arizona. Uh, The people aren't going to accept it. They won't accept it. And they shouldn't accept it. We have a great country. We can't keep it closed. I mean, I've had doctors say, well, why don't we close it for a couple of years? This is the United States of America. I created with a lot of other very talented people and the people of our country, The greatest economy in the history of of the world, the greatest that we've ever had, the greatest employment numbers, the best numbers we've ever had, the best stock markets. I think we had 144 days of record stock markets. And then one day they said, we have to close our country. Well, now it's time to open it up. And you know what? The people of our country are warriors, and I'm looking at it. I'm not saying anything is perfect. And yes, will some people be affected? Yes. Will some people be affected badly? Yes. But we have to get our country open and we have to get it open soon.
1: Welcome to the Buck Section Show, everyone. President Trump saying what needs to be said now. It is time to open up the country and that is going to entail risk. And exactly as we had anticipated, exactly as we had thought would be the case, this is being immediately seized upon for political reasons. And people are claiming <clears throat> that the president doesn't care if there are casualties from this. We're returning now to square one. In, in the first uh, few weeks of the, of the recognition of the pandemic, right, when we finally understood what we were facing and didn't understand it that well, but we knew it was going to be really bad. Many of us were saying, look, you, you, you got to take measures Maybe there's a pause here, but shutdown is not the is not the answer to this disease. You cannot shut down your economy and for you know, a two week vacation, so to speak, would have been one thing. But now we're going on two months, going to be in three months with some states. And you can tell that they think that the shutdown tactic worked, even though the data doesn't show that it worked at all. They can't prove that the data they, they can't prove that the shutdown had any correlation There's a there's about a six to eight week uh, growth plateau and then fall off period. You see in all of the states that have adopted policies meant to mitigate the virus, irrespective of how quickly and how severely they tried to uh, mitigate the virus. That's what I'm seeing so far. If I see different data, I'll let you know. Uh, But it also makes sense because you have a, a lockdown. We've gone to the most extreme that we can think of, really, I mean, short of doing what the Chinese government did and locking people actually physically locking them in their homes to die. We've gone to extreme lengths. We've shut down our economy. We've cost ourselves trillions of dollars. And it's still spreading. The virus is still spreading, as I assumed that it would all along. And now the president's saying, look, we, we've just got to start living life again. we got to open up the economy. we got to start going back to work and doing things. And people are really acting like, no, we shouldn't do that. Not until we hit the benchmarks. The benchmarks are never going to be hit. If we wait for the benchmarks in New York State, we're going to be, or New York City specifically, or we're going to be waiting for probably months. And at that point, what economy do we even think we'll be resurrecting? This, this test and trace procedure, at every level, the government has shown you enormous failure here. The government's not good at handling pandemics. The government is not adept at this at all. Federal, state, local, nobody's had a handle on this. And what are we hearing from them when we start to say this? Be quiet. We're in charge. We have the power now. We have the authority. And the libs, and it's tough to separate how much of this is driven by their anti-Trump hatred versus how much of this is just their fear of returning to life. Uh, The libs are pushing for a continued lockdown and they must know that this is disastrous for the economy and that people are suffering that cancer therapies are uh placed on hold that people are not getting uh urgent and routine medical care that there's all kinds of uh, psychological substance abuse opioid overdose consequences to this child abuse spousal abuse i mean there's just the the toll on our society of the lockdown. Remember, the virus is still spreading and we're still losing a lot of people. So it's not like we've locked ourselves indoors and, oh, we're all safe. No, we're still losing a ton of people. Lots of death out there. Now, as we understand, there are different risk factors and, and different individuals are more prone to the severe form of this disease. It's based on overall health and age. But and as a percentage, your chances, if you don't fall into a high risk category, your chances of dying from this are very, very small. But it's not like the lockdown has, you know, they keep coming up with these numbers. Oh, it saved. We were going to have two million dead and now we're only going to have one hundred thousand dead. They don't know if we were going to have two million dead. And we're going to have one hundred thousand dead even with the lockdown. What What would we have had without the lockdown? They don't have any answers for this. And they're going to get increasingly authoritarian and and also just more more forceful with what they're dictating all the rest of us do as the data goes even more against their narrative. This is how governments work. This is how those who have power wield it when there is no check on their authority. Really, they say, what do you what do you mean? you, You don't approve of what we're doing here. Now we're going to double down. We're going to do even more of it. This Texas salon owner, Shelley Luther, who's gotten a lot of attention, I think she's speaking for millions and millions of people around the country when she was facing a judge. And remember, this is in Texas. This is not in New York. This is a state that you think of as a place that more in its political system, at least more uh, reveres the Constitution and has a greater degree of respect for freedom and autonomy and the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, you name it, right? You would think that's the case with Texas, but here's a judge in Texas who is sentencing Shelley Luther to seven days in prison because she opened up her salon despite the statewide order about salons. So she's violating one of these, one of these uh, orders that are, this is not legislation. This is just what the governor is saying. This is just what the apparatus of power has decided and this is from the court proceeding. Here is what she said. Play clip one.
3: Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws and that I've never been, been in this position before. And it's not some place that I want to be. But I have to disagree with you, sir, when I when you say that I'm selfish because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry. Because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salon.
1: Seven days in jail, $7,000 fine. Because if you listen to the shrill idiots out there in the media, she's putting lives at risk. Here's a news flash for those in the lockdown forever camp. Life is now putting lives at risk. Doing anything other than hiding in your home is you go out to buy groceries, you're putting lives at risk. You go for a walk to get some air, you're putting lives at risk. Everything now is a risk that they get to they get to determine for you what's acceptable and what's not. Now, when I say everything's a risk, yes, it's the same way that that I could tell you if it's going to rain wherever you are and there's thunder and lightning. There's a risk you could get struck by lightning. You could die. And you can't, you can't tell me there's no risk. You don't know that. So maybe you shouldn't be able to leave your house because you might get struck by lightning. Now, I'm illustrating a point. I know that COVID is much more widespread and dangerous than lightning strikes right now. However, the state shouldn't be in a position to be the arbiter of all personal risk for all individuals because that is, we are facing the eradication. I really mean this, the death of freedom in this country if this continues. You think, well, and I will be honest, I fell into this category too for a while. Look, it's an, it's, we're coming together here as a country. It's an extreme example. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not going to try to extend this out too long because they must recognize how dangerous the abuse of power here could be. And we were all under a lot of stress and we were scared. So we were hoping that our fellow Americans would respond to this terrible situation fairly decently, rationally. And this is just getting worse. Notice how the demands from the left and the the shrill, uh, you know, the hyena chorus out there, you just want grandma to die, you know, just yelling at people and acting like they're the only ones with any right to have an opinion. And they're so, they're so sanctimonious and self-righteous over this whole thing. Notice how we're further along here. We're two months into this and they act like nothing has changed. They act like we haven't learned anything new about this. We haven't seen their policies play out. We have to just keep doing it. And they want to tell people, like Texas salon owner Shelley Luther, sorry, your kids are starving, but if you think you should be able to earn a living and feed them, you're putting grandma's life at risk. Now, this is also not true. This is a stupid phrase that you hear from people who are, are really uh, intellectually weak and there's a lot of cowardice out there right now from people who don't. And I don't, I don't mean cowardice in terms of taking risk. I mean cowardice in terms of accepting that people push for for policies and ideas here that were, that were bad, that were wrong. And they don't want to admit. They don't want to open the door to what have you guys done to this country? What are you doing to this country, libs? Oh, they were saving lives. They were saving lives. Uh, turns out that while we've all been on lockdown, the virus is still spreading, still spreading all over the country. You had Dr. Scott Gottlieb saying on CBS that we're catching 30,000 new cases a day, getting new 30,000 new positives, which is probably one in 10 of the actual new cases on any given day. 300,000 new cases a day is what we are told now by an expert who's very plugged in with all this. We have 300,000 new cases. How long before we have this burn through America and we've all been exposed to it in some way. It's not going to be that long at that rate, folks. And we're on lockdown right now. I'm on the second month of this, being stuck in my home, only able to go out for the bare necessities and, you know, for the situations that arise where you're wearing, you know, if you wear a mask and you go outside, this is absurd. Where are all the people that talk about freedom and the Constitution and America and all this stuff, all this Americana that, we, that we've, for years, for, for decades, for our whole lives, been sharing with each other and discussing about how we're, we're a country of free people, of free individuals. Right now, we're a country full of people who, unfortunately, when somebody in political power says, do this because I say so, it's not the Constitution. There's no, there's no legislation to pass. There's no accountability for this whatsoever. You see, that's the problem with executives making laws and making determinations like this. Government executives, as opposed to at least a legislative branch, you might be able to vote people out, right? In this case, where's the, where's the check? Where's the authority? Oh, you have to wait until you can vote out the, the, legisl- I mean, the uh, executive authority in charge here. And at that point, it'll be too late. There'll be so much damage done. I mean, you, you can hope that the House of Representatives provides a check on federal power. You could hope that a state legislature, if they have elections every whatever it may be, depending on the state, every two years, every four years. Um, but when you have one party control in places like California, New York, it's bad news. But this is even beyond party. Now, now we're seeing there is just a, a consensus that the lockdown is acceptable. And that to me is... Uh, is just disturbing beyond words, my friends. I don't know, I think I just woke up today and I'm usually fired up to get into the fight and I, I still am. But man, it's it's discouraging to see some so-called conservatives who are just rolling over on this one saying, yeah, you know, if they want to lock Shelly Luther up for trying to feed her children? You know? And, th- and this judge is going to lecture her and talk about how she doesn't have enough respect for the authorities? Whew. The uh, authorities out there have shown us that there are a lot of them that don't deserve very much respect. There are people who are overreaching. There are people who are seizing too much power for themselves. And the experts have just covered themselves in dishonor in this whole situation. The, the people that are supposed to have the answers on all this, that we're supposed to listen to, they're just taking educated guesses. Their models are crap, their theories are wrong. They don't want to be questioned. They don't, want to, they don't want anyone to be able to say, hold on a second. What you said a week ago was wrong. Why should we believe you now? That's, that's, that's forbidden. Listen to the or else, peasant. That doesn't work out well in other societies. And I have, a, I have a feeling this is going to get a whole lot worse here, too. I've got to tell you, the, the response to the virus and the fight over it is going to be what we're focusing on for the weeks ahead. Because there are people that really think that we should be in this this state of government total control. And they don't think that that should be adjusted based upon the massive suffering of Americans right now across the country from unemployment, from empty bank accounts, from despair and from a mass house arrest policy that if you look at the numbers, it's not even justified. What are we doing? Let's. Let's finally push back. Let's stop the madness. Trump is right on this. He was right before, and they got him to bend the knee. We should have opened the country up weeks ago. People who are saying we shouldn't open the country up again until we hit the metrics. When's that gonna be September? What do they think the country's gonna look like? These people are out of their minds.
0: You're in the freedom, Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show Podcast
4: it's astounding that he even introduces the question of red states and blue states. He's saying it out loud. He is politicizing a pandemic, not being patriotic, not talking about all Americans and how to bring us all back together. We're all connected. This is the largest city in the country. We help lead the national economy for everyone. We send a huge amount of money to Washington,
1: much more than we get back. Oh, that's right. Trump is the one politicizing this. We have a national media that's saying every day that Trump has blood on his hands. And we've been spending so much of our time fighting back against the false narratives about how we got to this point. What decisions were made? What could have been done differently? And we're told that Trump is the one politicizing this. Remember, they were lying about the early days of this. Trump missed this warning or missed that warning. And he just doesn't care. And he just wants his companies to do well abroad. I mean, the the usual crazy stuff that you see. But I I think you have to view, you know, he mentioned New York and how it's, this is the focus in a lot of ways of the discussion right now. My friends, I know most of you, a vast majority of you aren't in New York like I am as I'm here talking to you. But New York is is pushing policy for the rest of the country. This is where the elite news media is primarily headquartered. Uh, This is where the financial elite overwhelmingly are located, and there are many of the most po- powerful politicians in the Democratic Party are here. And what happens, what's happened in New York is being used as the justification for the expansion of these draconian lockdowns, and has this has been the case for weeks all across the country. But there's also a lesson that I want you all to take from New York, and it's one that directly affects de Blasio, Cuomo, uh, they got everything wrong in the early days, but even in the midst of the pandemic, they forgot to protect our nursing homes. And this has been a disaster.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And
3: the question comes back to how much is a human life worth? You see that projection model go from 25 to 200,000 cases from FEMA. You see the number of deaths go from 60,000 to 134,000. How much is a human life worth? That's the real discussion that no one is admitting openly or freely, but we should. To me, I say cost of human life. A human life is priceless, period.
1: Thanks, Governor Cuomo. That's really insightful. Yes, we all recognize that human life is precious. Well, the Democrats have a problem here because they think that uh, a baby in the womb is is not a precious human life if it inconveniences someone. So they've got it. that's a you just uh, we're going to not talk about that right now, but. For Democrats to be lecturing everybody on the sanctity of human life is in and of itself. Democrat politicians to do so is, is absurd, uh, especially someone like Cuomo, who's an abortion extremist, even by his own party's standards from, say, 20 years ago. Cuomo is now an abortion extremist, as are all these other governors. But when he says that we're, we're going to save every life, this is the kind of rhetoric that got people saying, OK, you know, we're going to trust you guys. We're going to put our faith in the government. We're going to let you make these decisions for us and we'll do exactly what you say. We'll stay locked in our homes. We'll watch our businesses evaporate. We'll destroy uh, whatever savings we have. We'll hope that the government puts us back together financially and that protects us with the policies that are being enforced against all of us. And remember that there's no escape from this, right? I mean, this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate nullification of your freedom. It's not about whether you're allowed to take risks. It's about you can't put other people at risk. Well, Well, what degree of risk? It's whatever they say. If I'm walking outside without a mask on, oh man, I, I could be asymptomatic and I could breathe in the air and theoretically somebody else could walk by and you know, get it in their nose or their eye and you know, they're infected and now they could die so I could be killing people just by walking around breathing. When the government says that you could be killing people by walking around breathing, there's nothing the government cannot justify. You need to remember that. And they're openly saying this to us right now. This is what Cuomo is saying. This is what others are saying. You might be taking lives. You're effectively guilty of involuntary manslaughter unless you listen to us let's uh let's test out this really frightening i mean very dishonest uh, intellectually but also a, a frightening theory from the government's uh, from the government perspective and yes it's all, it's also possible that any number of things you know I, I could walk into an elevator and somebody could be startled and have a heart attack that doesn't make it doesn't make me a murderer and doesn't mean i'm not going to walk into elevators at some point this has become too stupid and too absurd for us to sit back and just say, yeah, sure, whatever you guys want to tell us. But, but while, while they're playing the whole, you know, while the Democrats are running around, they're the great defenders of life on this issue. Telling, telling a mother that she's not able to work a job with willing customers in a completely legal profession that she's been doing for a very long time in Texas uh, with, with Ms. Luther, uh, she's not allowed to do that. And they'll, send her, they'll, they'll lock her in a prison cell where, by the way, she could get COVID-19 and she could die. But the state will do that. They got to make an example of you. Got to make an example if you believe that you should have any basic freedom to pursue. That's right. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? There are some things we're forgetting here, folks. If you think the government can keep you safe, you're wrong. The government is always going to fail you. As I tell you on this show, day in and day out, it does not keep you safe and warm at night. It is not your friend and it does not care about you. That's why we have a government based on restraint of government power. Why restrain, why restrain government power if it's, if it's a good thing that there's more of it all the time? I mean, this is the basic philosophical separation between Democrats and Republicans, left and right, conservative and liberal. Why have any restraints if government is just going to do great things all the time? Oh, you mean government is full of incompetence and corruption and venality? Oh, and we know this. We know this from experience. And yet here we are. They say they want to save lives. Let me t- let me talk you uh, talk to you about what that effort to save lives looks like here in New York, where you have, as of yesterday, seventeen hundred additional dead in the nursing home system from COVID nineteen. Seventeen hundred—that's that, a big number to just say. Oh, there, there's another seventeen hundred we didn't know about who have died in nursing homes. Uh, the nursing home system in New York is at about right now 5,000 deaths just in New York It's uh, as of yesterday it was over 4,800 I'm sure by today probably is at 4,900 or 5,000 so let's call it 5,000 or so and they're they're adding to the number all the time from people who have already passed this is the single group of people those who are in assisted living facilities and nursing homes who are at the greatest risk of mortality from this disease and we have known that from the very beginning really of the pandemic we've known that people in nursing homes their their age and comorbidities uh, put them at the high in the highest risk categories and they're in an enclosed place together with other people with similar because it, it looks like it's easier to, to acquire this disease if you're older and perhaps have a weaker immune system, it's easier to acquire it than if you're younger and healthier. So so not only do you get a worse form of the disease, you have less ability to fight off that initial infection. So we've known all along that the nursing homes were uh, at, at very elevated risk. The report card, so to speak, that we can look at now for how the state has done when it comes to protecting our seniors in nursing homes in New York and I'm telling you, this is this is going to play out in a lot of other states across the country. It already has in, in some. But you're seeing this is now spreading. I mean, the virus is going into places that um, over the last seven days between April 27th and May 4th, according to Axios here, you're seeing substantial increases in uh, you know, Nebraska, in Minnesota. You're seeing increases in Ohio, in Arizona, New Mexico. Increased cases. Now, some of that's from testing, but there's also continued spread of, of the disease. Right. So you will see this in more nursing homes in New York while they were lecturing us about how we all had to do our part, listen to them and just stay locked indoors, get a bare minimum of sunlight, no fresh air and a very high possibility of intrafamilial transmission. If anybody was asymptomatic, which we know large numbers of people were and spreading it to other family members. Right. Just you're, you're confining, you're adding to the viral load of the exposure that other family members have. You're adding to the duration of that exposure and you're putting people in situations where their immune systems. I mean, our, our immune systems right now are in bad shape across the country. We're not being exposed to the outside pathogens that you, you want your system. We all know this. You want your system to be fighting against bacteria and viruses regularly. That's I mean, if you're at a a proper immune homeostasis, if you're if you're in the place you want to be, uh, then your body's always dealing with these things. If you try to sequester yourself entirely from pathogens, your immune system is not as is not as uh, competent. It's just not as good. And that then brings me to what happened here in the nursing home system, because this is where the policy failures, while they're all lecturing us and saying, listen to us. We know what we're doing. And if you have a problem with this, we're going to lock you up. That's what that's what this has turned into. Uh, Even though in the beginning they said, don't wear masks. And then they said, don't wear masks because we need them for doctors, which means, well, don't masks work for us then? And then it was, okay, maybe wear masks. And now it's everybody has to wear a mask. Now, look, I'm not making the mask thing out to be some huge deal. I'm not pretending that I can't go into a grocery store and put a face mask on if it if it if that lowers the transmission rate at all. As I said, private businesses, I, I'm reasonable. I mean, this is what gets so annoying when you're debating the other side, the, the lockdown, you know, the, the lockdown forever chorus. I, I'm saying, look, we, we should take some measures here. We should do what we can to try to limit the spread of this and particularly to protect the, the vulnerable from it. And they act like it's, oh, we're just going to go back to normal life and you don't care about anything. Well, well we knew that the most at-risk population, really the most at-risk places, were nursing homes. And we've utterly, in New York, the center of this virus, we've utterly failed to protect nursing homes and seniors completely. And this is a function of, uh, this is a function of policy. Governor Cuomo told the nursing homes, I mean, this was a state order, that when someone comes out of a hospital for COVID-19 treatment, they can go back into the nurse. They, they, they should. They must go back to the nursing home. The nursing home cannot turn them away. So if anyone came out of the hospital for COVID-19 treatment and was still, uh, was still able to transmit the disease, uh, still had active infection, guess what? They were seeding the nursing homes with this disease. We've, we've been talking now for weeks about how, how they could set up uh, temperature checks and make sure that staff have very strict... Staff also uh, were told that they, that they could continue to work under circumstances that were clearly not, uh, not sufficient to protect the health and well-being of the people in the nursing homes. I mean, this is what, if you really wanted to know how you could defend people, how you could help people in this situation, you would, uh, would want to see, well, you'd, you'd want to show a, a with the nursing homes Uh, that it's possible, and this is how it works, and this is what we're going to do. Instead, the state has been a complete and utter, uh, it's been a debacle. Uh, Michael Goodwin wrote about it to the New York Post. He talks about this March 25th order that forced, quote, infected patients and allows for no exceptions and has not been changed, uh, forces infected patients into nursing homes. And nursing home executives have no, no leeway here, no wiggle room on this. The paragraph, this is from a state order. Remember, they're taking all this power. and They're saying it's to save lives. And then in New York State, they put an order forward like this. No resident shall be denied readmission or admission to uh, the, the nursing home solely based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. Nursing homes are prohibited from acquiring a hospitalized resident who is determined medically stable to be tested for COVID-19 prior to admission or readmission. My friends, how, how, that's the, how can anyone think that that's sane? You bring one person who is a senior, you bring one senior suspected of having COVID into that nursing home, and they're, they're going into shared rooms and facilities, and it's going to spread everywhere, which is what's happened. That's why you have 5,000 dead seniors in New York right now. Even though nursing homes are contained environments, they've shut down visits. So the people in the nursing homes haven't been able to see their families for almost two months now. Talk about suppressed immunity, you know. We're so so New York State, you know. While while Cuomo and his and his vain imbecile brother, you know, he who's breaking quarantine and then yelling people for saying that he that he should be quarantined when he should because he's actually infected. uh, while, While Cuomo is lecturing the rest of us on how every life counts, he's making sure that people in nursing homes are shut in and alone and can't see their family and can't see their loved ones. And, and I can understand from an epidemiological standpoint why he'd make that decision. But you'd think that if you're going to shut people off from their families, you better be damn sure you're doing everything you have to to make sure that nothing else is getting into those nursing homes that's going to, going to kill these seniors. And instead, they're, they're signing executive orders at the state level here. Cuomo is putting forward this order that was signing the death warrant for so many of them. I mean, The, the order reads... No resident shall be denied readmission or admission to a nursing home based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. What, what, my, my friends, these people, are, these people are idiots. They're not going to save you. They're not going to protect us. They don't know what they're doing. And they're going to get more desperate as their ineptitude, as their complacency, their stupidity, it becomes just so painfully apparent, then it's just going to be do what we say or else. That's when the state starts to bear its fangs. And I've got to tell you, and you know, uh, I'm a very, I'm as pro-law enforcement as anybody you're going to find. But we got a lot of local law enforcement across the country that has not been showing its best side during this whole thing. And watching the, watching cops, you know, abuse this power and go along with some of these orders, Is very disconcerting, and you know it's it's a reminder, folks. Tyranny is not just from the federal government.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
2: The fact that we're letting people go and go to their jobs, they have to do it. You know, if they held people any longer with the shutdowns, and you're going to lose people that way too, and you already have, I'm sure. But between drug abuse and I mean, they say suicide, a lot of different things. There's no win. Just so you know, there's no great win one way or the other. This is the way that
1: people who are being serious about complicated issues talk. All right. There's and I, I know that Trump, the way he speaks, people all think it's, you know, oh, ha ha. He's he's got his very unique uh, speech patterns, and everything. No, I mean, understanding there are trade-offs. I mean, understanding that there are no easy decisions, no perfect decisions, and that, yes, the president is finally looking the American people in the eye and saying, this virus is out there, it's not going away, and people are going to keep dying from it. So what are we going to do about it? Those who have been sitting around saying, oh, just listen, listen to Fauci and Burks, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll save so many more people, and everything will be fine if we just listen to them, they know what they're doing, they're wrong. They're wrong. They've been wrong all along. Flatten the curve so that we don't overwhelm hospitals. We didn't even come close to overwhelming our hospitals, as I've said to you. You know, it, it noth- nothing should be viewed in absolutes. A two-week lockdown to get hospitals ready and get gear in place and everything else, that still, I think, is, is justifiable under the circumstances and made sense. And that, you know, no, okay, two weeks is bad, but, you know, businesses a vast majority, even of small businesses would have the two weeks of cash on hand. We could have pumped the money from the federal government to them after the fact, made them whole. you know we, we could have been okay for, t- but they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. and a lot of this is based on the on the the lie that if we just wait long and if we can wait out the virus, we can't. So what are we doing? You know at, at some point, we have to just understand that there is A day of reckoning coming where the economy was going to start is going to start to open up and there will be more cases of this and most of them will be asymptomatic and most of them will be very minor, even if there are symptoms. But this is going to be a public health challenge that endures for quite a while. That's where we are. And there is no there is no easy way around it. There is no silver bullet. So what do we do? Putting in all these benchmarks and test and trace and testing, testing, testing and all this stuff. Nope, that's not going to that's not going to solve this. And the people who are pretending it will very conveniently want the power
0: to tell you what to do all the time and in every aspect of your life. Thanks for listening to the Buck and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. There is a consensus out there,
1: but what if the consensus on the lockdowns is wrong? Increasingly, it seems that there are some chips in that facade people are asking questions some contrarian thinking is being proven as valuable perhaps even correct in the face of this so-called consensus one person out there along the lines of uh, alex berenson and some others we've had on the show brit hume and people like that who are willing to at least ask questions another uh, person who's doing that is jordan Schachtel. he is an investigative journalist and a national security analyst and he joins us now jordan thanks for your time
5: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All
1: right, Jordan, what does the data show us at this point about lockdowns? And and try to give us, you know, as much meat on the bone as you can, because the moment you say the lockdown isn't the cure-all, people start screaming in your face. I'm sure you've had this too. Tell us what you're seeing and what everyone at home across the country needs to know.
5: So what's interesting is that now that we've been in lockdown for so long, people have been able to study and kind of guess and have a lot of solid scientific evidence about when new cases started you know when deaths happened and the evidence seems to be um pretty much a consensus at this point that lockdowns were not the cause of cases slowing down that there's actually kind of this natural pandemic curve Um, no matter what you do the virus seems to spread anyway um and you know that's a, that's unfortunate but the positive side of things is that it's not killing nearly as many people as we thought it would and you know the death rate is maybe 20 30 times lower than the initial uh world health organization estimate of 3.4 percent um but yeah so with lockdowns you saw th- that they happened really in in march for the most part in the united states sometimes sometime in late february in some places in western europe but the data that's now coming back is showing us that really simple uh, prevention advice like hand washing, um, you know, keeping a little bit of more physical distancing, not uh, shaking hands during at the height of a pandemic, that kind of stuff seems to have worked. But the lockdowns uh, seem to have just been overkill and have done nothing to stop the spread. And then of course, you know, we just kind of created this massive economic and societal problem on top of our virus problem with lockdown.
1: And now there's this fight over how quickly we can how quickly we can reopen. Uh, What do you think about the the metrics that are put in place, specifically the demands for massive increases in testing and then also an accompanying tracing system for people who have the
0: disease?
5: It doesn't make sense to me when I look at the numbers, uh, if you start with the tracing point, because if there's 30,000 americans uh confirmed positive tests per day most people admit that they're catching fewer than 1 in 10 even lockdown advocates so you you extrapolate that number and you're getting at least 300 400,000 americans infected per day right now there's no way that you're going to be able to catch up to tens of millions of cases that have already passed and that are already you know in the midst of people contracting the virus so the contact tracing thing seems to be a play at, uh, you know, a massive surveillance state, and it's not even effective because there's so many asymptomatic cases. What are you going to do besides calling someone and say, oh, you took the Metro the other day with someone that had the virus. What are they going to do? They're going to sit in their house for 21 days. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And this also involves hiring tens of millions of people to do this contact tracing. Um, and what are we going to do? We're going to train them. It, it just seems like this giant government boondoggle in the making. And when it comes to testing, testing, it's good to have like a snapshot, but what are you going to do? Like, you know, shove a Q-tip up people's noses every two weeks to, to make sure that our, our testing levels are appropriate. It just seems that the best way to, to treat this is, is with common sense. You, you focus on the elderly and vulnerable, and then that, you know, the vast majority of the population doesn't really have anything to worry about. But the, the fear mongering has made people, you know, under the impression that they're going to catch this virus and, and drop dead within six hours. And the data just doesn't show us that at all.
1: We're speaking to Jordan Schachtel. He's an investigative journalist and a national security analyst. Uh, Jordan, the professor, uh, Neil Ferguson, who had the model that showed the huge number of deaths in the U.K. and, and the United States, that really that was a, a turning point in this. I think that that was part of what pushed President Trump, not just to go for the uh, the, you know, 15 days to slow the spread, but just to, to expand well beyond that into now. What are we, 50 some odd days into into this lockdown status? That professor has never shared how, you know, the how he came up with that projection. And now we find out that he also broke quarantine while he had COVID-19 to go sleep with his married lover. Side note, uh, but Although for some people, I don't think it's really a side note, I see a lot of hypocrisy here. How can we be expected to listen to the models now when we haven't even been, it has not even been explained to us why the models used before were so wrong?
5: These people are so dishonest. And you really see that with the Sweden example where they say, um, you know, social uh, the lack of social distancing or the, or the death tolls going up is, is always our fault in their minds. It's not their models failing. Um, or their prediction model is failing. and it's always you know some other result that's out of their um, you know, projection capacity. But with this guy Ferguson, uh, you know he never released the code behind his models. So people don't really know what his assumptions were. People don't know how he projected that you know 1.1 million and million, 2.2 million Americans dead. And unfortunately, you know there's been no transparency efforts at all. This is a guy who ended up shutting down the world economy because he, he successfully freaked enough people out. And now we're learning that, you know, he's been associated with these hard left uh, climate change fanatics. And if we listen to those people, we'd be, uh, you know, starving ourselves to death. So it, it just is, there's so many problems here and such a lack of oversight. And the panic is really what set everything off. And he is one of the main forces for that panic.
1: You had a tweet here. If you didn't project lockdown as a surefire disaster from day one, it's time to reexamine your thought processes. The negatives were guaranteed. USA needs an injection of common sense and more who lean on the side of liberty as opposed to those who cower and choose safe tyranny Uh, on this point of, of choosing to cower. It seems to me that that the, the lockdown crowd is now faced with the reality that many of us saw coming weeks ago, which is that no matter what, as you said, the virus is still spreading and the virus will still be out there, even if we were to hit these benchmarks. So what exactly was the plan? If it wasn't to protect hospital capacity, what do they really think we were trying to do here with the lockdown?
5: Yeah, so after a couple of weeks, they sold us this false idea that lockdown was not only going to slow the spread. Now it was going to stop the spread. And I think a lot of us, you included, were saying this wasn't the original goal. What are you guys talking about? How are we going to stop the spread of a virus that we, we can't even see, you know, that's moving around so fast and infecting millions of people so quickly? How are we going to stop this thing? And the answer was basically, you know, just uh, wear a mask and you keep social distancing, and this is all going to work out great. But the virus has spread. Um, you know, we, we know we have the death the death data that's very targeted to the senior living centers and sick and elderly people, and that it doesn't particularly uh, affect healthy people. And it's just kind of like bizarre that people have bought into this propaganda, unfortunately, that it affects everyone equally. And they were sold this false um, bill of hope that said, if only you listen to these government mandates, we are going to keep you safe. And that, unfortunately, has not played out at all. You know, we have new unemployment. That's numbers that are going to come out tomorrow. I'm sure there'll be another five million or so unemployed. So we'll have like 35 million unemployed. Uh, there's new data coming out saying that you know people are going to develop late-stage cancer because they missed all their um, you know checkups. They missed their chemo. Uh, they've been freaked out to even go to the hospital. Some people aren't even allowed to go to the hospital because they banned non-elective procedures for so long. So there's just there's so many predictable consequences of locking people in their homes, whether it was the physical toll, the mental toll. And from the public health standpoint, it never made sense from the first place.
1: What are you seeing? I mean, from the from the lockdown crowd at this point that wants to continue this or wants us to wait even longer? I mean, I've heard uh, some of this look at Australia. They've done it right. Uh, People pointing to other countries uh, have if one have you looked at the australia model specifically i mean i would just think that the seasonality issue is big because they're obviously in a different part of the of the cycle for upper respiratory disease based on on uh, the the season that they're in, in the southern hemisphere but uh, have you looked at any other countries that give us lessons that are worth learning and that we should look to
5: I, I think what's very interesting coming out of you're right i think the seasonal issue is big because if you look at the middle east specific, specifically the gulf region the arab states and even as far north as, uh, you know, Lebanon and Israel, they really never developed um, a coronavirus problem. Uh, I I think, you know, the, the countries that have the most deaths have around 200, 250 deaths. And it's not like this virus, we already know this virus has been moving around since at least November 17th of 2019. So it's affecting populations in a different way. And I think climate has a lot to do with it. In terms of countries that successfully contained it, um, you, ca- you can look at East Asia and how they had institutional distrust of China's uh, in particular. Taiwan, Japan, uh, South Korea, Singapore were the first to act, and they acted um, a couple months before we did for, for a variety of reasons. And I don't think that you know the president would have ever had the, the capital to ever be able to pull off shutting down the country the way that some of these other countries did. So, you know, that's kind of like an irrelevant debate. But in terms of like the institutional distrust of China worked because they saw something happening in Wuhan and they immediately took action. And that seems to have had enormous benefits by just refusing to um, accept the premises of of these global health organizations like the World Health Organization and what China was saying about the virus and how everything's okay and everything's fine. They acted um, aggressively and preemptively to stop it.
1: If you could, would you tell the president to reopen the country? I mean, I know it's not up to him, it's up to the states, but I mean, if you could uh, reopen at least into the first phase of the guidance from the federal level, you know, starting next week, would you do it?
5: Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, it's such an obvious um, point right now. Like, even if, let's say you bring, you know, you open up baseball games and you have uh, ha- half or quarter capacity, you're, what you're doing when you're reopening is you're subjecting the healthy population that's not particularly threatened by the virus to the virus uh, maybe a little more than under lockdown when it was spreading anyway so unless you're advocating you know sending grandma and grandpa out into the streets out away from their nursing homes that would be the only issue is when you are, are moving Uh, vulnerable people back into crowded society. If you're moving non-vulnerable people into crowded society, I don't see much of an issue. And I think you're seeing that play out in states that didn't do hard lockdowns and in Georgia where they're opening up and there hasn't been a new spike in cases or anything like that.
1: Jordan Schachtel, everybody. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it and keep it up on Twitter.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
4: They really haven't had anyone in charge, except the President, who every day has a different, he spends half his time on whims, medicines that don't work. He spends half his time on blaming other people or other issues. You know, he's bl- now blaming China. Well, guess what, Mr. President? It doesn't, it, 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 even if it came from China, and even if it came from China only, why didn't you do something about it? South Korea did, Australia did, The idea is to deal with the problem, not just spend all your time with pointing fingers of blame. It doesn't make anybody better.
1: If it came from China, Chuck Schumer, we're still we're still going to play that game. If it came from China. Apparently, Chuck hasn't read the news reports from earlier in the week that tell us all that the Wuhan coronavirus uh, was not just something the Chinese government lied to the world about. In the early days, but also they used that period where, where the Wuhan coronavirus was being lied about by the Chinese Communist Party. They were stockpiling PPE and stockpiling gear and things that they would need to fight against the virus while telling the rest of the world, hey, don't worry about this. Don't worry. It's fine. It does. There's no human to human or human to human transmission is not a concern. And the World Health Organization parroted that. I do wonder at some point if, if we could ask uh, Chuck Schumer, if the U.S. went to war with China, but Trump was president, would he be rooting for China or be rooting for the U.S.? You know, you start to wonder where the loyalty of some of these Democrats really lies here. Uh, there's no question that this came from China. But notice Chuck Schumer, you know, if it came from no scientists, everybody, everybody who is looking at this based on the facts agrees it came from China. And that's not a surprise at all. Upper respiratory infections like this have come from China stretching back for decades because of not just the population density in China, but also the way that they uh, raise animals for slaughter uh, as, as part of, of their you know, industrial uh, industrial agriculture. And uh, and farming. And they also have these wet markets. So that that's why this comes. I mean, there was a a book that I've told you all about that I read a few years ago called Pandemic, which was really interesting and good prep for this situation, which I didn't even realize was going to be the case. I've just always found pandemic disease terrifying and fascinating as a result of how scary it is. Um, But it it has been known, the scientific community has known that that the flu viruses year in and year out uh, tend to come from China. These upper respiratory infections are coming from China And it has been the laboratory of pandemics for a long time. You know, the the world's the world's largest Petri dish, the Chinese Communist Party is overseeing that and not not doing enough by any stretch to try to stop it. But Schumer's big problem is with Trump, not with China. That's that's not surprising to any of us, but it should be a reminder of how uh, grotesque the Democrats are willing to be in this process. And also the the media here, uh, the media's willingness to go along with lies and to not, not only parrot, I mean, and I mean really parrot Chinese, you know, the Xinhua News Agency, I mean, parroting Chinese propaganda, straight up state propaganda, um, but also to continue with lies like this. I mean, and this is a lie that is particularly annoying for me because I was faced with this, you know, I was on the Bill Maher show about a week or two before the pandemic really broke out in this country, and we were, there was concern, but everybody was still thinking maybe it was going to blow over. And one of the things they kept saying was Trump has called it a hoax, which is a lie. Just like it's a lie that Trump said there were good people among the, you know, uh, the neo-Nazis were good people in Charlottesville. That's a lie. I mean, you look at the transcript, it's clear that that's not what he said. And I will never back down on this. And it's very frustrating to me that people continue to propagate that lie all across the media spectrum. Trump did not call this a hoax. And yet, you know, morning Joe... Uh, you know, the the biggest jerk on morning TV, really. This is is what he continues to say, play 17.
2: And that's what concerns me about the coronavirus coming to middle America and the president delivering a very mixed message that bluntly uh, makes a lot of his supporters in middle America in these areas that could be so badly affected and that are so ill-equipped to handle this virus. Uh, It's making a lot of these people still call the coronavirus, a hoax. I have heard it from friends who say many of their associates still consider this say to be a, a hoax, yeah. that it's overblown, that it's just not the case. That's deadly thinking.
1: Notice how he conflates your hoax and it's overblown. There are, there are states where they've had a couple of hundred deaths from this, but they've been on lockdown with all businesses shut down for almost two months now. That is the, like the definition of overblown. So in some places, it clearly is overblown. That's not the same thing as saying it's a hoax. But ah, uh, this is how the propaganda mechanism works. Take two disparate concepts, try to mold them into one and push that out there and slander anybody who will say maybe this isn't as bad as they're telling us it is by pretending they're saying there is no virus or there is no problem. Nobody says that. No one that I talk to, no one that I and I'm talking to con- actual conservatives, not like Joe Scarborough all day long.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Oh, the Trump haters on the right, or at least theoretically on the right. I don't think it's possible to be someone who would vote for the insane socialist Democrats and still call oneself a conservative. But there are people out there who do take that approach. There are other people who find themselves justifying, rooting for and voting for and supporting that which they've claimed their entire adult lives up until now, up until Trump to oppose. But you have this group called the the Lincoln Project uh, founded by George Conway, Steve Schmidt. I mean, Steve Schmidt is the guy who was involved with the, the ill fated McCain campaign, as you recall, He's the guy who goes on MSNBC and he's like, you know, Donald Trump is evil and dumb and I hate him. And he says the dumbest things I've ever heard on television in my life. I mean, he's it's him and Navarro. I mean, there's there's a a certain echelon of political analysts who are, quote, from the right or on the right in some capacity, whose job is to go on TV, trash Trump and look like morons all the time. And they do a very good job at that. Uh, But, yeah, it's Conway, Schmidt. Um, Rick Wilson, who's completely lost his mind. And, and also, I mean, I've just seen, look, the guy, I've never had any personal beef with him. And he's going, so, you know, and I, and I don't have any personal beef with the guy. I don't I don't know him. He doesn't know me. I don't really care. But some of the conduct and some of the stuff I've seen him do on Twitter, I'm just like, come on, man. Like, what, what is wrong? I mean, he's psychotically anti-Trump, which a lot of people are. But I think he also just crosses the line sometimes. I don't know any of these guys personally though, so it's not, and I, I like to tell you that too, if I don't like someone, because some of these people I tell you are jerks I know and have dealt with, I don't know any of these guys. I, I met Wilson once briefly in a green room. He was fine, he was pleasant. And I look, I, I see I also make that distinction because there's a difference for me be- between someone whose work I think is odious and someone that I know as a human being who I think is a total turd. Uh, and I tell you, you know, there are people at CNN that I know, I know as people, I know wh- what they're like and they're, they're total turds. Uh, so that's why I, I tell you that I know them. And then we add that additional layer onto it. Um, but here with the Lincoln Project, these guys are rooting for the other side. So, I mean, they're running ads for the other side. So, I mean, they're they're effectively turncoats to conservatism. Uh, George Conway, uh, married to Kellyanne Conway. And this is a I, I, I don't know. I can't explain any of this stuff, folks. I actually met the person that introduced them or claims to have introduced them a long time ago. And she's like, you know, it's uh it's a tough situation that they're dealing with right now. I am. Kellyanne has always been very, uh, very friendly to me and does the show. I think she does a great job on TV. The George Conway thing, you know, hey, it's a marriage. I don't, I don't get into any of that. That's none on my business. But George Conway's involved in this. Steve Schmidt, John Weaver, Rick Wilson, and they, their, their play on words ad here is "mourning in America," like M O U R. Ha ha ha! So clever. And I'm gonna play it for you just so you can kind of hear the the saccharine, wimpy, nonsensical conservatives behind this. You know, what what do they think America really needs to hear right now?
0: There's mourning in America. Today, more than sixty thousand Americans have died from a deadly virus Donald Trump ignored.
1: I just want to jump in there. A deadly virus that Donald Trump ignored. Really, did he ignore it when he was the one that shut down flights from China against the advice of the so-called experts in the in the medical policy echelon and certainly against the Democrats? The Democrats biggest concern. This is true of de Blasio. It's true of Newsom. It's been true of Pelosi. What really scared them was the possibility of xenophobia and racism when it was clear this virus had broken out in China and was spreading all over the world. Their fear was not millions of people will contract this and hundreds of thousands of people will die and China's lying about it and it could destroy our economy and threaten our way of life and our freedoms. That was not their concern. Their concern was that maybe somebody would say something racist, which would be a very stupid thing to say. I mean, racism is inherently stupid and illogical. So, you know, conservatives, we have to keep sitting here and keep going through judging or or mistreating or even elevating the treatment of somebody. But but changing your treatment or changing your observation about another human being based upon their ethnic origin, their skin color is inherently not just morally wrong, but also illogical and stupid. Uh, so that's why we have to sit here and to keep going. Look, we, we don't need these reminders from virtue signaling libs about you know don't be racist we know not to be racist right the libs are the ones that actually are always judging people by skin color and how valuable they are to different enterprises based upon skin color we look at people and just say this is a human being i want to treat this person as a person first and foremost and we're all deserving of equal dignity and equal rights but their big concern was that we all needed to be lectured on racism as this pandemic was breaking out all over the world so to say that trump ignored this fauci did fauci ignore this he was saying in January and into February that we're really at no risk from this. What was Trump supposed to do? Oh, that's right. He was also being impeached by the psycho Democrats. Let's not forget that they impeached this president on nothing. It was it was ridiculous. It was going nowhere. We're not allowed to think that 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 might have hampered the executive branch's ability to focus on this and get all the best information on this, trying to prevent the destruction of this presidency because Democrats are psycho crybabies who can't accept that they lost the 2016 election still with another election just months away. Oh, but no, we have to have the uh, the Lincoln
0: Project uh, pseudo-libs lecture us more. With the economy in shambles, more than 26 million Americans are out of work. The worst economy in decades. Trump bailed out Wall Street, Trump bailed out Wall Street.
1: The Paycheck Protection Program is specifically designed to get money into the hands of workers from businesses all across the country. But notice how they just focus on the
0: Trump bailed out Wall Street.
1: Democrats, if you go to any of the big firms, and I know this because I'm here in New York and I know people that work at all the major firms, you go around Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs is almost like an appendage of the DNC. I mean, they'll give money to both sides just because they want goodwill and access from the policy level. But if you're wondering what the politics are of the major investment banks, for example, they're overwhelmingly Democrat. Overwhelmingly. It's not even close. This, this Wall Street is a is a, a Republican fat cat enclave is a myth. It's a myth. And I'm here. And I know I grew up in a family with a dad who, thank God, is a Republican who loves this country and believes in the Second Amendment and believes in freedom but he, he he worked on Wall Street he was a stockbroker i've known these people my whole life it used to be that wall street was a little more of a bastion of capitalism and now wall street it's all this big corporate stuff and you know left wing uh left wing identity politics has taken over you know goldman sachs and morgan stanley and all these places you know that's anyway and so that that's just another they're, they're just spreading they're spreading crap here this is a but let's let's hear more. You know, it's, it's kind of fun to just dissect the stupidity of the Lincoln Project for a few minutes. You know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. it's not COVID-19, thank God. So we can. Well, although the ad is dealing with it, but at least we're not having to analyze more wrong numbers and more wrong analysis from people on the lockdown crowd.
0: But not Main Street. This afternoon, millions of Americans will apply for unemployment. And with their savings run out, many are giving up hope millions worry that a loved one won't survive covid 19. there's mourning in america and under the leadership of donald trump our country is weaker and sicker and poorer and now americans are asking if we have another four years like this will there even be an america
1: i mean how much more disgraceful dishonest it's all, it's all Trump's fault. This is a pandemic virus. Is, is the poor leadership in the UK responsible for the much higher per capita death rate there? Is the, is the unacceptable democratically elected leader of Italy, of France, of Spain, are, are they all just horrible people like Donald Trump? Because they've been hit worse than we have by this. This is like blaming Trump for a natural disaster. This would be like if we had the worst worst earthquake in the history of the planet and we had mass destruction and devastation and we're trying to recuperate and people saying donald trump didn't stop the earthquake these people are morons and and, and actually in the case of for example I mean, steve schmidt is, is dumb i mean msnbc loves him because he's made a living now and then there, people have become famous as former republicans and they're useful now they will event they'll be discarded shortly when they're no longer useful for bashing trump when there's a a realignment, or if you have a Democrat in the White House, they they won't be celebrated and put on TV. The most overexposed people in media, or rather, the people that get the most exposure relative to what their audience size is, are Never Trumpers, and it's very obvious why that is. It's because you know Zucker over at CNN, who's an odious little person, uh, and MSNBC, and knows Andy Lack just stepped down, and uh, some shady stuff behind the scenes there about why you know the. Uh, Chief of uh, NBC News had to step down. But anyway, um, y- you look at what's going on at these places, and they love putting these former Republicans or, and, and people like Tom Nichols. And Tom Nichols started out writing for the Federalist. The Federalist. That's how this guy built, him, built some credibility in the conservative movement. And then he became a total turncoat. And now they, they make excuses for like AOC and Bernie Sanders. And these people are absolutely nuts. How can you claim to have principles? You know, and, and there are other people out there who I think really believe they're, they're not just conning uh, the public or, or engaged in an exploitation for just monetary and, and exposure gain. Uh, there are other people out there that but I've been very disappointed in, you know, how wrong they were, for example, on Russia collusion. And they don't take any that they won't change any of their earlier statements on it. They won't say that they were they won't say they were wrong. No one will admit, it seems anymore, when they're wrong about Trump. You just won't do it. They won't do it. And that's been true for years now. Uh, but this Lincoln project is is a disgrace. And I, I, I just wanted to I, I just had to take a couple swings at it. It's so gross, the whole thing. Well, what do they want to have? They want Joe Biden. They want Joe. I lie about stuff all the time. Biden to be the nominee. That's that's really the plan here. That's what we're supposed to think is such a he, he would remember this isn't. Trump versus some super genius who would have done an amazing job and has a great record. This is Trump versus uh, people who are clearly... I mean, in the case of Biden, someone who clearly has no idea what the heck is going on, does not understand um, where he is, and is really really just kind of a joke. I mean, they, they won't put it that way, but I will put it that way. I mean, Biden is a very, very unfunny joke and yet here we are being told that he would be so much better as a candidate mm, i'm sorry I, I i don't buy it not even a little bit oh wait trump one thing trump weighed in I, I i how could i not let the trumpster have his say here uh he talked about the uh the lincoln producer mark where is this one i know we had this one somewhere here he call, he has a new name for them oh yes play clip
2: seven I saw a project, a, a thing called the Lincoln Project, and I would have them change the name to the Losers Project, because if you take a look at Schmidt, it's, it's uh, George Conway, the guy is, he, Kellyanne must have done a big number, or but it's George Conway and it's some other people, Weaver. Every one of them are either defeated or, or they lost by themselves. But it's a group of major losers. They're Republican losers, and if they would really think about it, I have 252 beautiful, brand-new, conservative, wonderful judges, two Supreme Court judges that are great. We produced the greatest economy in history until a month and a half ago when we got hit by the virus and we had to close it down, and we'll do it again. We've rebuilt our military. We've done things that nobody has been able to do. I've gotten the greatest tax cuts in history, in the history of our country, the biggest tax cuts. The Democrats want to raise your taxes. I've gotten regulation cuts, the biggest in the history of our country, no matter how long a president served. With all of that, I guess they don't like me.
1: They do not like him. We do. We we do know that (laughs) they definitely uh, hate the. Here's what the president said. Most of the money raised by the this is also in in a tweet. I mean, he really was going after them yesterday. Most of the money raised by the rhino losers of the so-called Lincoln Project goes into their own pockets with what I've done on judges, taxes, regulations, healthcare, the military, veterans' choice, and protecting our great Second Amendment, they should love Trump. The problem is, I beat them all. It really is just about them, and they pretend that it's about more than that. So the Trumpster, not to be trifled with by the Lincoln Project, but they're going to keep trying. They'll keep the scam going as
0: long as they can. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast
4: say improving conditions for seniors in nursing homes would it be a, a good idea to no longer send elderly patients who've tested positive for coronavirus or who are suspected to have coronavirus would it be a good idea to not send them back into their nursing homes where they then expose other vulnerable people well again if if the better care in that individual case is a hospital of course that should be the go-to option but there's going to be times where the nursing home is the place that can better care if it's set up that way. But remember, a lot of these are for-profit organizations. I think there's going to be a lot of questions about whether they put their residents first or whether they put profit first. Uh, but uh, I'm, I don't like what's happening in the nursing homes. I want to see change. But I think in terms of each individual, it's a case-by-case. you got to figure out what's right for each senior.
1: Oh, it's the profit motive that's... Killing so many of our seniors here in New York. And I would note that you're going to see across the country, I mean, nursing homes on a national level, based on the data we have from Europe, nursing homes have been the single worst place of, for loss of life. And in New York, it's been absolutely, absolutely horrific. Uh, but notice de, de Blasio here, who him and, and Cuomo, they've had this, this rule in place that, you know, if someone comes out of the hospital and they think they have COVID and they're a senior, they go right back into the nursing home that that may have cost a lot of lives directly, but what does De Blasio do? The classic community organizer, BS tactics you would expect from this guy. All of a sudden, he makes it about how the profit motive is the issue here. Oh, these these rich fat cat senior citizen homeowners weren't willing to take the necessary precautions. I mean, how could anyone think that this is how could anyone think that this is anything other than the worst and most obvious CYA. From a governor who has been MIA on trying to actually give us some leadership worth the name in this city, he's uh, a total imbecile. I mean he's really one of the, one of the worst politicians in America and and there's a long list that I could go through, but he is really truly one of the absolute worst. I know I, I wanted to get away from the COVID-19 talk here for a second, but I, I just can't help but I, I saw this clip of de Blasio and to make this about, you know, capitalism is the enemy. You're going to see more of that, though. There's going to be a rise in a, a push to use this moment of economic and societal crisis for furthering socialism. It's, it's happening right now. Get ready for it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You know, there's a lot of people saying, you know, call for a general strike, call for a general strike. The majority of Americans don't know what a general strike is. And so our responsibility
0: is to talk about it, expand consciousness about it, and to actually create the, the conditions in which working people can, can generate and really exercise their own power, the power that they already have for themselves.
1: Ocasio-Cortez wants a general strike. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, and she says a lot of people don't know what this is, it goes back to the labor movement, but also has a lot of roots in socialism and communism. And the people calling for general strikes at the turn of the at the the end of the 19th and into the early 20th century uh, were a lot of them commies. And I mean, actual communists. I don't just mean commies as a, a slap at libs today who increasingly view themselves as effectively ideologically aligned with communists uh, or at least their policies are closer and closer to communism. But this is a reminder, folks, that even when the country is about to see the highest unemployment number, this is going to happen tomorrow. We're going to have the highest unemployment number we've ever had ever in the history of this country. And there's going to be uh, there there are going to be voices saying that now is the perfect time to demand concessions from capitalism. Now is when you want to try to exert maximum leverage and pressure against capitalism so that people who have an agenda like AOC can get their policy preferences done because we're in a moment of crisis. Right. Crisis is an opportunity. We all know this. But some people exploit that. Others don't. The left is going to. I mean, what is the big right wing wish list item that this pandemic might lead to we look at this and what what are we calling for? Exactly. The left has a whole litany of things, a whole bunch of stuff that they want. And they want to advance the cause of socialism, especially as we're seeing these checks getting written to people across. And again, I'm 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 nothing but supportive of anyone who's getting a check now from the government. The government took your business and your job away from you. So you should be getting a check from the government. This is not uh, this is not in any sense uh, welfare or Uh, The you know, the government extending beyond its mandate, you know, if the government shows up one day and says, hey, uh, you can't go into that house because we say so, they got an obligation to give you another house. They don't just get to take your house because and that's effectively what they've done here with your paycheck. But while we're seeing that happen, the the libs view this as an opportunity uh, and really to use this as a test run for greater socialism across the country. We are seeing what could very easily be the template for a universal basic income for a twenty dollar minimum wage across the whole nation for a whole bunch of measures that remember, Joe Biden is too much of, a, of, an, of an imbecile to I, he's not ideologically aligned with any of this, but he's just the Democrat figurehead that they will use as the, he's the vessel for them to get what they want when he's in power. You know, the AOC's and the Pelosi's and so on and so forth. They will go to Biden and say, well, first of all, they're, they're the ones that will draft the legislation. That's the socialist crap. And they'll go and they'll tell Biden what he's supposed to do. He doesn't have any ideological objection to this. And we we're talking to our buddy Dave Harsani about this yesterday. Um, Biden is somebody who disagrees with Biden at, at, at different points in his past as a, as a political figure. He's just in const- at constant war with himself. And right. he changes all the time. This is what he stands for. That's what he stands for. And then the guy has no moral, or ethical core whatsoever. And in that sense, he's actually a perfect Democrat. In that sense, he's exactly what the Democratic Party wants and needs. Uh, and then we have a, a wonderful Bidenism. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we get to that, uh, the, the, the great Bidenism, which is coming. It's coming. You're going to enjoy it. Calling for a general strike while the country is facing the highest unemployment uh, ever. Isn't that interesting? Uh, this is when, you know, when we are in this moment of national panic, the AOCs of the world who she's still getting a paycheck. She still has health care. She's under no financial duress whatsoever. OK, uh, she, she's saying, hey, everybody, now's the time to sh- think of the chaos that this could send the country into. A general strike right now. Who would be striking essential workers? What would that mean? Food, transport, health care. Effectively. That's what would be. And then and, and civil services, police, fire, uh, a, a strike of the only people allowed to go to work right now would put this country over the edge. And that's exactly what they want. See, that that's how much they love America. I mean, they love America, you know, be, to the degree that they're willing to burn it down in order to make it better. That's their plan. This is what true radicals think. This is how radicals approach a moment like the one that we're in. And we have to remember this, because if you. Extend to them good faith that they will not extend to you. You will always be surprised, and you'll always be caught off guard by them. They do not have the best interests. the The left in this country in this country does not have the best interests of their fellow Americans at heart. They are ideologues driven by one an ignorance of the past. What they've wanted in the past has been a catastrophic failure in society after society, and is and is dest- destroys wealth, destroys freedom, the things that make this country so great. They want to shift that around. They want to turn it upside down. And if you stand in their way, they're willing to be absolutely ruthless. And they'll, they'll exploit any political narrative. They'll exploit any investigative body, any law enforcement tools they have. Whatever they can, they will try to crush you uh, because socialism and absolutism go together. As we know. And history shows us this without any, uh, w- without any question. And then we have... A Bidenism that I just I have to keep her money that they're out there telling us that Biden is awesome and he would save thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of lives uh, as compared to Trump, who's just so terrible and awful. Here is the kind of stuff that Joe Biden goes around saying play clip five.
2: The pandemic is that the president has no intercourse whatsoever with the rest of the, country, the world. I'm dealing with these things. We led, like Barack Obama led in the uh, Corona. I mean, excuse me, in, 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 in the pandemic that occurred when we were in office. It was kept in Africa. We organized the world. We put things together.
1: Joe Biden here. The pandemic is that this president has no intercourse. With the rest of the world. I mean, you know, the, the president was definitely a ladies' man in his day, but uh, no intercourse with the rest of the world. That's that's Joe Biden for you. This is the second he keeps using this word. And I understand the words can have multiple meanings, but find a different word, Joe. Interaction, exchange, you know, there's stop running around talking about Trump needs more intercourse. We're all seeing this and saying, what do you not get here? I mean, it's a little bit like the Alex Jones thing when he's like, I will eat your ass. We know that he meant cannibalism, but, you know, Alex Jones also should probably have a little more, spend a little more time uh, reading up on pop culture before he runs around saying these things. Um, Nonetheless, Joe Biden is claiming here that uh, the president has no intercourse with the rest. I mean, that's that's not true. We had Secretary of State Pompeo, as you know, on the show, and there's a lot that's going on with our partners. There's a lot that's going on uh, to our north with Canada or south with Mexico and then all over the globe. Sharing information about how to treat this virus, which still they're not very good at. Let's remember that so far, so far, global medical knowledge has been a big letdown on this. Uh, We we are not able to do anything really notable to save uh, a whole lot of people that get very sick with this. Just look at the numbers. You see that, you know, ventilators were talked about as if they were a a real treatment. Ventilators were a last ditch effort to just keep people breathing while this virus was ravaging their lungs. Uh, Anyway. Ah, uh, and then you have the allegations against Biden and where the conservatives are on this, where the libs are on this. This is an interesting discussion in and of itself.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Uh, now that he has
4: given that answer, do you view this uh, as a closed issue or what is your response?
5: Well, it is for me. Uh, I have said I am proud to support Joe Biden for president. Uh, I believe him when he says it didn't happen. Uh, But I also believe him when he said let them uh, look into the records. Uh, And that's what they should do. But I'm not going to answer this question again. uh, I I will just say I have every confidence uh, that Joe Biden will be a great president of the United States.
1: Isn't there so much so much here? First of all, I love that Nancy Pelosi because the media effectively works for her and she knows it, right? I mean, the media are like her lackeys. So she can just say, I'm not answering this question again. Do you think any other politician would get get away with that? You know, how many times was Trump asked about Vladimir Putin or a conversation with Russia or, you know, whatever? How many times they ask him the same stupid, dumbass question? How many times in the COVID uh, pandemic response Press conferences he's had, do they ask the same, oh, why do you support hydroxychloroquine? Why do you, you know, they, they hammer. Part of the propaganda effect that liberals love is the repetition of a question meant to undermine. Just keep asking, keep asking. It doesn't matter that the answer is always the same. Keep asking, keep asking. It keeps it in the mind of people listening. And Pelosi's like, excuse me, talking to the, the, the journos here, you do as I say. I'm not answering this question again. Oh, yeah. Speak truth to power, right? That's what journalists do. Please, lapdogs for power. That's what journalists actually are in this country. Uh, but Pelosi's not alone here. You also have Governor Whitmer. It's gone from believe women, that was the Democrat standard under Kavanaugh, to now believe Biden. They have a believe Biden standard. Oh, that's very that's very convenient, isn't it? Very convenient indeed. Play 10.
3: I do believe that women should give, be given space and they should be listened to. But I also know that it's incumbent that we vet thoroughly and in, in this moment, um, I think under these circumstances and in the conversations that I've had with the Vice President, I am confident that he is who he says he is and, and I believe him and I believe that he will be a good President for the United States of America. And, and beyond that, uh, you know, I don't know that there's much more that I can add.
1: I believe him. End of story. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad that there's no more no longer this believe women standard now. Now, that's I'm, I'm going to say this. And I, I give Tucker credit uh, for for on his show last night. Um, some of you have probably figured out the only cable news show that I make a habit of, of. I don't watch. I don't watch any cable news show every day. But the only cable news show I really make a habit of watching is uh, Tucker's show on Fox. Because uh, I think he's really been he's been hitting home runs with the monologue night after night for really most of this year. Uh but, you know, ca- anyway, you know, a lot of the I other anyway, a lot of the other cable news shows uh, on other channels are horrible, but uh, anyway, there's a fair bit of repetition it feels like on some of these shows, uh, even the ones where I like the people that are doing the shows. Uh, so Tucker was saying that, look, we, we should look at the evidence, right? And an evidence-based standard would be really nice here. Let's assess this like reasonable people. Does Tara read? Is it an open and shut case against Joe Biden? No, it's not. See, see, we conservatives, we have principles, so we can have real discussions about this. I'm, I'm completely willing to give Joe Biden the benefit of weighing facts, weighing the allegations, looking at the inconsistencies as they are in Tara Reid's story or the 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 holes, the problems, the possible political motivations. This is but you see, this is the way it should always be. And the, the problem that we're having right now in this particular moment is that the consensus of the progressive left has been that women are to be believed irrespective of whatever the facts may be, irrespective of facts contrary to the veracity of their allegations or the, the, uh, under the facts that undermine the truthfulness of their allegations. Um, so, you know, as I, as I look at this now, I just say, Oh, notice how we are already having some of our biggest voices on the right say, look, maybe Joe Biden didn't do this. And I'll tell you that right now. I think that's true. I've I've thought that's possible along. It's a credible allegation, but that's not the same thing as saying it's a true allegation. Credible doesn't mean true. Uh, This is what liberals played all these games, though. They were changing the standards all the time. Credible does not mean true. And we should be able to look at this and, and come to a determination about whether Joe Biden is fit for office based upon whether Joe Biden uh, seems to be guilty of having committed this offense. Even though I know it's not a judicial proceeding, we should be able to analyze this. Right. Ah, but then there's another standard that's No, no, that's a that's a courtesy and a decency and an intellectual consistency that you will never see on the left with this stuff. They, they don't believe. No, no, no. Because it's all about power. And you know, the, the left does not does not uh, adhere to any particular morality. Right. They make it up as they go along. So that gives them a tremendous amount of maneuverability and and moral latitude. Uh, but this is a piece in. And this this is incredible. This is a piece in The New York Times opinion section today. Uh, and let me the, the title is, I believe Tara Reid. I'm voting for Joe Biden anyway. Quote, so what is the greatest good or the greatest harm? Mr. Biden and the Democrats he may carry with him into government are likely to do more good for women and the nation than his competition, the worst president in the history of the Republic. Compared with the good Mr. Biden can do, the cost of dismissing Tara Reid and worse, weakening the voices of future survivors is worth it. And don't call me an amoral realist. Utilitarianism is not a moral abdication. It is a moral stance. I believe Joe Biden, she says, but it's worth it to vote for the the rapist. He's accused of penetrating a woman against against her will without consent. That's rape. We keep calling it sexual assault, which it also is. But if he actually if there was any penetration, I mean, he stick stuck, stuck his hands. You know, I'm not going to get into the details on the radio, but it was it was not a, you know, not a little thing. It wasn't like a hand on the small of the back and a kind of weird, you know, mm-mm. it would have been a criminal act had it been uh, established at the time and charged. So she's saying, I mean, th- this is in the New York Times opinion section that it doesn't matter. And this reminds me of, of the, uh, the Bill Clinton era as well. He lied under oath, but lying didn't matter. And lying under oath didn't matter because he was too important. He was too important. Now, the hypocrisy must be mind-blowing for anyone listening to this right now because we have been told for years— Including by some former Republicans or you know quasi Republicans now, that you can't make these kinds of calculations about Trump, that the imperfect man cannot be a powerful vessel for conservative policies and ideologies. You know we we've been told that that's unacceptable. Uh, meanwhile, there's this growing there's this growing movement around Joe Biden to do exactly that. Do you think the left will have any compunction about this? You think you think they'll feel like? There's anything wrong with them just completely shifting the goalposts here, shifting their standard? No, of course, of course not. Whatever they have to do to make sure and look to make sure that Joe Biden wins. And even think about the uh, the way that Trump referred. Trump even said, look, you know, some people lie. I don't know. Joe Biden's got to deal with this. But he didn't he didn't take the ugly cheap shot against Biden on this because he says, look, I've been falsely accused of things, too. Are we are we going to return to a sane society where allegations are? Yeah, I love that. You got to laugh. They say like, oh, women should be heard. Yeah, we all think people who make criminal allegations against other people need to be heard. We don't need to be told that, you know, people need to allow this to be said and then to process it. Thanks. We know it's like saying, you know, people need to breathe and open their ears as they listen. Yeah, we, we know we, we get that. Thanks a lot. But here's where this is all heading, just the same way that I told you and and there were others. But I I was somebody who was saying, just wait until the Democrats have somebody that matters to them, who's accused. And they're going to abandon all the things they were saying about Kavanaugh, all the standards that they were insisting on then. Now they want due process. They want a fair, you know, that they want a fair assessment of facts and evidence. And they want some degree of presumption of innocence. When we go past this election and we go into another moment when they really want to destroy a Republican, people who are writing right now that they believe Joe Biden or writing that they'll vote for Joe Biden, even if they think that he did this, they'll be saying this Republican deserve, you know, must step down right away because of the allegation, because women must be believed. They'll switch right back to the stand. They just don't care. They don't care how unethical and how grotesque it is. They'll do it. I guarantee you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. See, Producer
1: Mark, we had to bring back the Roll Call. It just doesn't feel the same without it. I, that, that was a surprise to me. I didn't even know you had those. Oh. But I do. I kept a copy of them. Those roll well, calls yeah. are sacred, my friend. It's time to bring it back. People are like, "What's going on? Are we even in roll call?" I can't know. I don't unless think Buck plays even the corny. One person has noticed. Unless Buck plays the corny music, I think people want their corny music again, Producer Mark. Let's not All deny right. them the cheesy roll call intro. I think I think we're gonna bring it back. I'm gonna send you some copies of it so we have it going forward. But it's uh, it's a fun thing, and I want I want the. Uh, the big band, the hard rock, the we even have our dubstep roll call intro. We're bringing them all back. It's been too long. Well, uh,
3: people also want the Siege of Malta podcast, so maybe you can get on that too.
1: That is true. I have seen those emails. I've actually made, seen emails about that. Yeah, I've actually, and I've, I, I have made promises, so that is that is a fair, that is a fair point. I will say, um, but I will also tell everybody. That we're, we're bringing roll call intro back, just like we're bringing sexy back. And that's how we do it here. So with that, um, I wanted to get into uh, the latest here. By the, by the way, producer Mark, I, I started watching on your uh, on your recommendation. I wanted you to know I, I didn't bring this up earlier in the week. I forgot. I started watching the cr- the creek of the blank people, you know, I don't know what Can to say. We we can't spell stand. it. The S-C-H-I-T-T Creek yes. people. I watched I watch that show. It is funny. It reminds me a lot of the, uh, what was the Arrested Development show?
3: I've heard that comparison.
1: Yeah, yeah, very Sort of similar storyline. Um, but no, so far it's pretty good, I have to say. Yeah, and it, it only gets better. And I wanted to ask you what you thought of the Jerry Seinfeld stand-up. Oh, is it out? I didn't watch it yet. It is We've on been Netflix, watching yes. uh, Waco. How do you what do you think? Or well, four episodes in, we
3: my wife and I love it. Like we're it's hooked great, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 also on the fourth episode, so that's kind of funny. We're in the same place. It's uh it's a remarkable, remarkable show. Really, really well done.
3: I'll have and to get I to the Seinfeld find, special next now.
1: Yeah, I wanna find uh, what the um I I really wanna find what the tr- like the best readout of what really happened there because I was too young to remember it as it happened. And it's not something I've, I've read too much on. I feel like this audience probably knows a lot about Waco. Uh, so just based on the interest in Second Amendment and government overreach, and I'm sure there's some people out there listening who know the, the story in great detail. I'm just wondering if, if I can. I, I, what I really want, and I'm surprised they don't do this more, is when you see a show like that, there needs to be a companion something you know, I don't know if it's a you know a website piece or if it's a documentary or something that tells you what is really true in it because a lot of what they do in the Waco show is very true to life you know a lot of the, the at least the timelines and some of the basic stuff so I would like to know that because man the ATF looks terrible right whew. yeah it really makes them look awful like the FBI at least has some good the FBI comes out with some good guys who are who are trying there's some bad guys in the FBI too but the ATF is just like whew, whoa whoa what is going on over there? Uh, people don't realize it's under the DOJ as well. It's just like a little mini FBI that focuses, focuses on, on alcohol and tobacco and guns. Which why, why do we have a federal agency that looks at those things? Conversation for another time. All righty. Jim writes in Buck. I live in Bloom, uh, Broomfield, Colorado, and had a chance to catch part of your program this afternoon. You're so right about needing to get everyone back to work and stop all the garbage, putting it as nicely as I can. Some of us in this city are so fed up with our governor, Polis, and his Democratic excuses and overwhelming greed for power. We have city leaders and law enforcement here that are threatening us with fines and jail time if we don't do what they want. And this afternoon, Polis tried to say that the mandatory mask issue is now a law. Really? There have been people at our Capitol building in Denver with guns protesting. He is really pushing his luck. Most of the city, state leaders and law enforcement here are so enthralled with their power, they are blinded by the struggles of their citizens. I fear that if they keep forcing us into a more desperate situation and keep pushing us further and further into a corner, things are going to get ugly. People are not going to continue to tolerate the blatant abuse of power and denying us basic liberties and freedoms. (coughs) Um, Jim, yes, I think you're right. I think people are getting tired of this. I think that the timeline on this you know the uh, the sand in the hourglass is getting very is getting very thin, very fine on the top part of it. Uh, there's not going to be able to. You know the, the government authorities are not going to be able to continue to demand that people just obey this stuff and keep doing this. So I, I don't know where this goes unless they wise up and let up and start to let people have. And this is about having your, your their lives back. I mean, this is about having basic freedom back and not. Denying that there's terrible suffering going on for for millions and millions of people. I mean, tomorrow there'll be at least a temporary renewed focus on all of this because we'll see the jobs uh, jobs numbers and the jobs numbers will be utterly catastrophic. We know they will be utterly catastrophic. And that's what we're heading for. So I I hope that they they heed the words of uh, and, and the cries and the admonitions of their citizens in these various states because we're getting really, really tired of this. You know, I'm I am very respectful of law enforcement. I know that they have a, a super important job and they hold society together. You know, um, I got to tell you, if I'm out in public and I'm walking around and and a, a member of my old my old employer, the NYPD, they ask me, hey, buddy, put them. If you know if they're nice about it, they say put a mask on. I'm like, all right, I got it, I got it. I'll, I'll put the mask on. But, you know, they get. They get snippy with me. I don't know. I might get a little snippy back which is not a good idea. I never recommend that. Don't do that with law enforcement. But let's just say it would not be a uh, it would not be a quiet encounter that nobody else would hear about, including very high up folks at the NYPD, because we need to stop this crap. We need to stop this. Richard. Hey, Buck. Hello. I'm happy to inform you that after a month of being furloughed, the factory I work for here in North Carolina reopened today. That means two to three thousand people going back to work. We have to wear masks and they're checking temperatures on entry. The masks they gave us to protect us from the Wuhan flu are made in Wuhan, China. Well, that's that's what you call ironic. Um, I have ordered some better masks from Freaker USA, which are made here in North Carolina. I didn't I've never heard of Freaker USA, but interesting. It's so nice to earn my money from my labor and not from the state. I hope our Democratic governor will open up the state soon. Stay safe and keep your sanitized shield high. Well, Richard, man, I'm glad you're able to get back out there and get back in the mix and uh, do your job. And I, I know that there's a satisfaction that you get from working that you will never be able to get from the government. Just giving someone a check, even when the government owes you the money, as they do. Um, so, yeah. Richard, good. Good on you, my friend. Keep your shield high, sanitized and high. Make sure you stay safe down there in North Carolina, where I will, at least as of now, I'm still planning on being in Craven County, north carolina on the 12th of june so almost just about what five weeks out i'm supposed to be down there so if you happen to be in the north carolina area i'm gonna give a speech i'll be down i'll be hanging out not sure how many hands i'll be shaking but i'll definitely be chatting with folks and i don't know i mean i wish i was able to shake hands I, i i think I think we're all just going to break down over this stuff in time and just say, you know, screw it. That's where I think this is all heading. I don't know what else to say. Otherwise, what? We're just going to live. We're going to live like the mole people forever. We can't. We can't go outside. Makes no sense. Steven, the upper accent you heard about is that how you say? Or you upper right? U U P E R. Uper. Uper. I knew I was saying it. The Uper accent you heard about. Correct. The further north and west you get into Michigan's Upper Peninsula, the more the accent starts to sound like your Minnesota one. Keep doing what you do. Well, Stephen, good to know, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh. any hey, people in Minnesota, they are so nice, though. You know, they just want to help you out, and they're so nice, and they're friendly, and, you know, oh, you need a, you need a sweater and a, and a coat. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Sure, whatever it is that you just said. Exactly. Dennis! Hey, Buck and producer Mark, how interesting the governor Cuomo would make the statement that one could literally kill someone by not wearing a mask. However, I believe if someone is killed from the result of being shot by a firearm, he would say it is the firearm that killed the individual, not the perpetrator. Uh, so I guess you're saying, Dennis, that the virus kills people, not people kill. Wait, what are you uh, producer Mark? Am I are you seeing what he's saying here? Um, I think he's saying you're killing
3: people by not wearing a mask. Cuomo's saying you're killing people by not wearing right. a mask, but the gun would kill people if you shoot somebody,
1: not the person. No, but I think, I think Cuomo would say the person killed. That's why I'm confused. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean it is oh, confusing, okay. but I kind of get the point. Yeah, okay. I, mean, I, I think I know what he's kind of going for here, but I, mean, it was, it was, I think it was a little bit, of a, a little bit off target. But, I, yeah. hey, Dennis, we love you. Thank you for sending it in. I tried. All right. I did try. Send us another one. Take another shot. Don't be, don't be shy about it. You know, I had a long night. I had, to, I had to Lou the Frenchie. Oh, boy. She had an upset tummy last night, and uh, she just kept waking me up all night, and I didn't know what was going on because I, I haven't had her for that long. I've never been through this before. And, whew, man, I spent, spent the morning uh, on cleanup duty out in the living room. That was not fun. So I'm a little I'm a little bit uh, worn out today. You know, usually I come in here with all my fired up energy, five hours of radio. No problem. Just banging it out. I got Malta podcasts on the brand. I got all kinds of things going. Uh, there we have it, David. Buck, as you know, when the Communist Party comes to power in any country, they rewrite all of the country's history. Apparently, they have come to power in the U.S., at least in New York. If Trump is reelected. Could he issue an executive order banning the 1619 Project being used in history books anywhere in the country? It seems like Obama issued EOs for almost anything. Better yet, if he can't ban it from the history books, he should require that anyone teaching it will lose their teaching certificate so they can never teach anywhere again in our country. People who teach the 1619 Project should be barred from teaching. Uh, David, thank you for writing in. Uh, So I'm, I'm always opposed... As a matter of uh, matter of principle, I'm opposed to the banning of books. And in this case, it would be the banning of uh, the teaching of a series of news articles. You see, the problem is not with the existence of a 1619 project. If somebody wants to make a false argument about the, uh, the importance, the central, the, the uh, paramount importance of slavery as an institution to the entire American experiment, Uh, they They completely should be allowed to do that. And if people want to teach it, they should be allowed to do that, too. The problem that we have is that it will be taught in our public schools as truth when it is not truth. And to try and stop that becomes very difficult because we don't want to shut down debate and the free exchange of ideas. So while I can appreciate that you see the tactic the left would use is an executive order to ban something that they don't like, that's an idea that they don't like. We should not mirror that tactic. Uh, there have to be some places where we'll draw a line in the sand, and I, I think this has got to be one of them. Uh, the 1619 Project is uh, not, not, factual, uh, not, not factually sufficient for, for a Pulitzer, but really a Pulitzer Prize is just this is what an, an echelon of uh, elitist journos give to each other as a pat on the back. I mean, it's all just a big self-licking lib ice cream cone. So it's not surprising that this really happened in, in that regard. Um, but no, I, I don't think we should do an EO banning it because we, we don't we don't ban books. We don't ban ideas. We debate them. We discuss them. We share them. We shout them down or shoot them down using logic and reason and facts. I don't mean shout them down as in not allow the other person to speak. But, you know, we will decry them, um, but we don't ban them. We don't use the force of the state to say you can't do this. Now, should schools be teaching this? No. But that's going to be a school board issue. And unfortunately, the lib propaganda factories that are our public schools, they're going to be teaching this.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: Before I continue on with roll call, I just want to say, man, uh, you know, producer Mark, I've told you the Snow Princess is a fantastic baker. And we've got a whole, she made a whole pan just because she felt like a whole pan of brownies. I think she made them less than 36 hours ago, and the brownie pan is almost gone. And I've basically been eating it all myself.
3: Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. Do you go this brownie is- a la mode?
1: Oh, you know it. <laughs> I, yeah, I've discovered a Van Leeuwen honeycomb ice cream flavor. Van Leeuwen's great ice cream. It's kind of fancy ice cream, but whatever. I'm a, I'm a bougie food guy. And, and ooh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, do you have a favorite brand? I know we've talked flavors, and you know we've thought we've always made we always make fun of strawberry. Or, do you have a, like a go-to brand? I'd say I'd yeah. say for me, Van Leeuwen is actually probably my favorite ice I've cream. I've
3: never even heard of that, but I I, I
1: guess I just Brooklyn, go. It's Brooklyn hipster stuff. Oh
3: yeah, it's but. definitely hipster. It's Nancy Pelosi kind of ice cream. Yeah, oh, it's oh,
1: I'm sure Nancy is all about the Van Leeuwen, Yeah. Uh,
3: I I have to just go Ben and Jerry's just because I love like stuff in my ice cream.
1: See, I would, but anything you know, that some of the like the pretzels and things like that. Yeah, it's flour, kind of probably so. bad for you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough for me, but no, Ben and Jerry's is great. I think, I think I'm. If if you're asking me though for like the tried and true, if I'm gonna go old school, Haagen Dazs.
3: Oh yeah, Haagen Dazs chocolate is better than anything.
1: Haagen Dazs, the chocolate and the coffee are just—they get it done, man. They just get it done. It's always a really good. Whew. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm worried. Like, it's a good thing that I don't do a show standing up on TV right now because job of the buck. I, I'm just. Look, I'm trying to eat relatively healthy. What do we have to do, though? Other than I work all day, like all day. You're working all the time. We're home. We can't go out. We can't work out. If we're not going to eat food, what, what joy is there for us to have right now? Yeah.
3: As I've said many times, if I don't eat like crap, I'm going to go nuts.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one, man. But this brown, like I keep hoping. Now I'm at the point where I'm like trying to extend out the brownie pan just because I don't want to be grossed out by how quickly I've eaten all of Snow Princess's brownies that she left here. Cause there's like, it was a whole thing and there's just me eating them. So there's, just... she, she didn't have any, she said she's had a, she's had a little bit, but I mean, I'm, you know, yeah. I, I'm i a, you're I'm a growing a, boy. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just pounding through, you know, she has like a little, a little bit of it and you know, she's uh, keeping it, keeping it in moderation. I'm just like handfuls of it. I'm like, Oh, I'm having some, I'm having a cup of coffee. Time to have a brownie with it. Like it's really easy to just work it in. Chris wrote, I heard on yesterday's program you are frustrated with Drudge's explosive headlines. I just want to say that I, too, am frustrated. He is linking to news stories and giving them a supercharged headline. It's only after you read the story you find out that either he is misrepresenting the news story or the content of the story is not based in research, but rather anecdotal stories that have no scientific corroboration. I only log on there once a day or so because of this. Love the show. Hope all is well. Chris, thanks so much, man. I I, I agree with you. Um, That's where... The Drudge Report's been losing me recently. I really feel like they've just been doing the panic porn thing, and I don't like it. And I'm somebody I've been I've been reading the Drudge Report pretty much daily since I was in college. So that's going back a long time now. Duke writes, hey, Buck, we're in week six of our four week lockdown. (laughs) Yeah. Here in New Zealand, we now have zero new cases across the country for three days straight and zero active cases in our region for three weeks. Still, our much-loved prime minister got her taste of power and being a good little socialist will not open up for business. Now we have shortages of medicine and a stoppage of all but emergency medical treatment. Yep, that's called lockdown. Even when we get the numbers they say we need, they want to keep the lockdown going. My friends, go to com. check out our podcast, subscribe to it. Tomorrow, we'll be back. Shields high.